0: what another podcast tune a week it must be <laughs> halloween oh it must be lucky you <laughs> it's a halloween miracle this episode is a very special one it's not your usual paul and jenny back and forth laughing and poking fun at each other it, around yeah you know, piling about it's kate humble a wonderful uh, historian who joins us at ross bay cemetery one of the first cemeteries in victoria and mm. has so much history we're going to dive into the history of some of the people buried there, which will tie into um, Victoria's history and also some ghost stories, too. It's, mm-hmm. It was really a treat to have her on the show.
1: Uh, most of the history that I know about Victoria comes from, probably from directly from Kate. Yeah,
0: me too. Um,
1: but, and also has a ghost story around it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like, even whether you believe in ghosts or not, it's a fun way to learn the history because uh, so many of the gravestones that we went to that was like a fascinating tale. And it yeah. makes me so, oh my God, just blown away that like these things, these very dramatic things happen where I now stroll about hungering for a burrito.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Just diving deep into to that history and how it plays to today with these ghost stories that have been happening. Um, also, we hmm. have a special ghost that joins us and it's Menno from Colorado. So he's also going to be in this podcast, too. Amazing. Yeah. And He has a cat. really good ghost story as well. Yeah,
1: he does. Where he was on Mushrooms for.
0: Yeah. Was it a ghost story or was it a trip? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Happy Halloween. Happy
0: Halloweener. Right now I'm joined with Kate Humble, and Kate, do you want to kind of explain what you do in
2: Victoria and what you're all about? Sure. Well, if you've ever taken a ghost walk with us at Discover the Past, chances are good you've probably seen me. I'm the lady with the gingery, curly hair. (laughs) Um, My day job, I'm a museum curator and a historian, and at night I do ghostly walks and history tours with Discover the Past and have for a long time. And thank you for coming down with
0: us. And like, yeah, what Paul was saying earlier, as soon as you walked on scene, you had stories for like almost every grave site here. So, uh, we have a few hours of just history and ghost stories and uh, a bunch of other things as well. Now, I want to talk about other cemeteries before we get into the Ross Bay Cemetery. This isn't the first one, though it has a lot of history. It's not the first one in Victoria.
2: That's correct. Most people think of Ross Bay Cemetery as like the oldest cemetery in Victoria, yeah. but it, it absolutely is not. Ross Bay is the third major cemetery in Victoria. Uh, the very first one you cannot see anymore, and I'm going to tell you where it was. It was under a Burger King, in fact, the Burger King at the corner of Johnson and Douglas Street, right Ah. in the core of downtown Victoria. And this was a terrible, terrible place for a cemetery. Hudson's Bay Company put it there in the 1840s when Victoria was first uh, inhabited by European people. And they found very quickly that it had a high water table. So what this means is you dig your six feet down for a grave and then you come back the next day for the burial and there are four feet of water inside of it so early burials in victoria were horrible essentially you'd uh, say the burial prayers and then they would ask the families of the deceased to leave because they don't want to watch this and then the grave diggers would shove the coffin into the grave hole where of course being wood it would float And then, one of the gravediggers would have to climb down into it with a pickaxe and hammer holes into the sides and the lid of the coffin to get the water to be absorbed so the coffin would sink and then they would fill it with mud. And so basically you're burying your loved ones in this swampy guck. And what a terrible job as a a gravedigger back then. (laughs) A terrible, terrible job, in fact, yeah. And there was an assigned gravedigger for Fort Victoria, his name was John Spelding.
0: Wow, so that was the first ever cemetery and then there was another one as well.
2: That's correct. So when the gold rush comes in eighteen fifty eight and the population of the city booms from, mm-hmm. you know, three thousand or three hundred rather to about eight hundred or eight thousand, um, they decide that they can't keep doing this. They can't keep burying people this way. There are women and children here in Victoria. So what they do is they open a new cemetery, and it still survives. It is right next to Christchurch Cathedral across from the Y uh, on Quadra Street, yeah.
0: Pioneers. Yeah.
2: Square, is that what it's called? Pioneer Square it's called today. It doesn't even look like a graveyard. It kind no. of looks like a park if you're passing it by. And what they do is, in the dead of night, they get the prisoners from the chain gang that occupied the prison that used to be in the middle of Bastion Square. They exhume the bodies from the Johnson Street <laughs> burial ground and drag them by wagon and rebury them up in Pioneer Square.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: And to this day, there are still bodies there. Is that right? There absolutely are. So don't be deceived. When yeah. you Walk past it, it looks again very park like. But in actuality, there are 1,300 people buried in that very small space. Oh. And they are many layers deep, Uh. most of them. Ah.
1: So, okay, we were talking about this the other day that, like, Vancouver is, you know, having this problem, like, we got too many dead people. Yeah. And they were thinking, like, all right, let's, like, stack them up. So, this was a more common thing back then, to stack them up. And, like, is it relatively recent that we only did, like, one layer of bodies?
2: Yeah, I think we're a little more squeamish about these things now. It used to be very traditional that you would just pack them in until there was no more space. And if you go to, say, European countries, I mean, Canada is space rich, right? We have a lot of land in this country. But if you go to Europe, uh, like, I was in Greece last year, they have ossuaries, where basically you rent a burial space for a couple of years, long enough for your loved one to decompose, and then you show up. And then they dig up the bones, and then they reinter them in a big ossuary. Uh, yeah. Ossa being bone in Latin, right? Mm-hmm. Just a giant interment where all the bo- bones come kind of rattling down in the cemetery, and then they give it to someone else.
1: And then you only need a box the size of your, for your bones, like a small cooler type of thing.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, Canada being land rich, I'm going to tell this to you now, Jenny. To uh, this is my final wishes. Just like push me out of a plane when I die, like over like a big forested area, in northern BC. And if you find it, you win my inheritance. <laughs>
2: Oh, what a fun game! What a fun Halloween game! It's I like love the D.B. Cooper of uh, death scenarios. That's amazing.
0: You could turn it into a TV show and make even more money on that, too.
1: And I'm seeing, you know, couples and friends and kind of spending
2: their Halloween taking a walk through Ross Bay Cemetery. That must be a pretty common thing, hey? Oh, it's really common. It's a beautiful green space in this neighborhood. And on a day like today when it's sunny, you see lots of people here, which I find really encouraging. Cemeteries should be a place for the living as much as they are for the dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's really
0: nice. Yeah. Now, we are currently on a unmarked grave. We are. This area here, and you said that you have a story attached to this
2: part. I do. It's conspicuously absent here. Mm. So, we're in the Catholic section of Ross Bay Cemetery, and Ross Bay is divided up into various sections for denominations or cultural groups. There's like a Japanese section, there's a military section, different Protestant denominations. This is the Catholic section, and the lady on whose grave we stand is uh, an old school ghost in Victoria. She is one of the ghosts of the Empress Hotel. Now the Empress didn't always look the way that it does today When it was originally built in 1908 It was a lot smaller than it is right now And in those early days They had amazing staff Like people from across the world It was a very posh place And one of the staff was a woman called Lizzie McGrath She was from Northern Ireland She was very professional She moved in She had a room on the top floor The sixth floor of the Empress Hotel So she could be available to help you at any time and she gets this little routine. At night, she would go down the hall and open the fire escape and stand out there as the sun was setting and say her rosary. She was very faithful, very Catholic. Mm. And then, three years later, the hotel decides that it's gonna just expand. They're gonna start building off to one side. And in order to do this, they take down everything from the exterior of the building. All of the gutters and the downspouts, the ivy that started to grow up, and of course, the fire escapes. And in 2019, if you do this, like, there are memos, there are meetings, there's health and safety plans. In 1911, you you just get on with it and don't mention it to anybody. And the next day, Lizzie McGrath did not show up for work. And they find her body right where you're expecting, right at the bottom of where the fire escape was. She had simply walked out, as she always did, and plunged down to her death. Uh. She still had her rosary clutched in her hands... And to this day, on the sixth floor of the main wing of the Empress, the bit that says Empress on it, people will report not only uh, hearing strange sounds coming from the place that was Lizzie's room, the sound of a woman singing, or the smell of an old-fashioned or like lavender perfume, but they will see this woman walking down the hall, and they will think, man, it's so cool, this Heritage Hotel dresses their staff in period costume, she's wearing a corset and like a mob cap and a beautifully bleached apron and people will try to talk to her and they'll complain about how rude she is (laughs) because she just busts right past you and won't even acknowledge that you're there but sometimes if people wait and they watch or they follow her they will see Lizzie turn around a corner and then appear to walk right through a solid brick wall now it's solid today but of course originally that is where the door to the fire escape was back in 1911 Holy smokes.
1: And now we're standing where her unmarked grave is. Wow, I got chills. Oh
0: my gosh, yep, chills are happening. <laughs>
2: The Dunsmears, uh originally the first uh, pair, Robert and Joan, built Craig Castle. And they were the richest people in basically Western Canada. And it was their eldest son, James, who built Hathley Castle, now Royal Roads University. Uh, and of course, uh, the home of many superhero films like, right. you know, cameos and Deadpool and all of that. Um, so they built this splendid house and they have 10 children. Uh, eight of them are girls, and two of them are boys. And the hope is that the oldest son is going to carry on the legacy of this wealthy industrial family, but the eldest son turns out to be a little bit of an underachiever, let's put it that way. His name is Robin, he does scandalous things like gets divorced, which is very shocking in the early 20th century, <laughs> and invests in railways in Peru, this, none of this goes well. <laughs> and so the entire family starts to focus their hopes on the second son, because obviously, women couldn't possibly run a oh, no. business empire from the early 20th century. you <laughs> got eight of them, but no. That's right. That's not enough. Yeah. So the youngest son is called James, and they, they call him Boy, essentially. That's his nickname. And he is perfect. He's blonde, has a splendid Edwardian mustache. He's very handsome. Uh, he looks great on a horse. And so the plan is that he's the man. He's going to carry on the Dunsmuir legacy, except that World War I breaks out. Mm. And Boy Dunsmuir feels it is his duty to serve his country and so he signs up with the Canadian Mounted Regiment and when he isn't sent overseas fast enough he decides he's going to go to England and join uh, a British regiment because they are already seeing action in France and to get there he books himself a ticket on a famous boat called the Lusitania. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so remember back to History 12, if you took it. So Lusitania is sunk by a German uh, submarine in 1915. It's a horrible scandal and hundreds of people die. And boy, Dunsmuir's body is never found. Mm. And so his parents are in despair, just whole grief His father seems to have accepted that his son is gone, and he sinks into a depression, playing the same song in his office at Hatley over and over on his wobbly gramophone. A song called, Oh, Where is My Wandering Boy Tonight? Oh.
1: Oh no! But his
2: mother believes firmly that her son could still be alive, that he's washed up on the beaches of Ireland, and some nice Irish family is looking after him, and he's got amnesia, and one day he'll come home. James Sr. dies, very young, it's around 1920, and his wife outlives him by about 17 years. And then Hatley Castle becomes Railroads Military College. And the top floor where all of the children's uh, nurseries used to be is turned into the cadet barracks. That's where they all sleep, like a big dormitory at night. And ever since, people have reported odd things. The first is the sound of a wobbly gramophone coming from James Senior's office, even to this day. I know people who work in that building, and they still hear it at night. It is not the radio. It is not like a modern digital quality. It's old fashioned, but much creepier were the young men at the cadet college, aged about the same age as Boyd Dunsmuir was when he died, you know, 18 to 23 years old, sleeping in the long uh, dormitory in each of their single beds and reporting that the door would creak open and the shadow of someone would come into the room. And if you slept through that, you might be awakened by freezing fingers on your face, pulling the blanket down. And as you open your eyes, you would see this elderly woman peering into your eyes, whispering, is it you? Is it you, my boy? Are you back? Have you come home to me? before moving on to the next bed and the next.
1: Oh, my God. If only any one of those eight daughters looked good on a
0: horse. Come <laughs> on. You wouldn't be in this mess right now. Oh, my Oh, my God. <laughs>
1: Hey, by the way, I went on a Starbucks run across the street. I went over to get us coffees and pumpkin spices. And as I'm leaving, this woman's like, uh, oh yeah, a gigantic spider on the back of your neck. <laughs> I was like, Happy Halloween! Thanks. <laughs> and she like got it off me. I am like, Mom, okay, that's just a decoration. Sweet, thank you. And she just dropped it. Didn't wait till I got outside either, like, but just into the coffee shop. So then oh, I was so a so giant there's a spider, spider in there. Roaming so around. Yeah.
0: Have fun with that. Right now we are standing in front of David Fee's grave. And this is a very well well known figure in Victoria and a well-known story.
2: And I was wondering if you could share it with us. Yeah, of course. This is actually probably my favorite ghost story of all the ghost stories that we tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the story of David Fee isn't really about David Fee. That's the crazy part of it. It's about the building of St. Andrew's Catholic Cathedral down at the corner of you and Blanchard, the big brick church that is there. So it's 1890. They're trying to build this thing, but they don't have enough skilled laborers to make it go very quickly. So the Bishop of San Francisco sends a bunch of his laborers up. There are 150 Irish Catholic guys or stonemasons and bricklayers. And as soon as they arrive, that church starts shooting upwards towards the sky. But there's a huge problem here. All of these men are Fenians. Now, Fenians were the precursor of the modern IRA, the Irish Republican Army. Mm. And in the 19th century, they're trying to get Britain to let go of its hold over Ireland. Now, if you were an Irish Catholic person in Victoria, you were probably loyal to the Queen because you've come to a British colony, of course, instead of to our southerly neighbor, the United States. But all of these laborers, they are Fenian rebels. And the first thing they do is they haul their controversial Fenian flag up to the top of the bell tower of the cathedral. <laughs> oh, what <a> so, move. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to put this in modern context, this is like hauling up the Confederate flag oh, over the legislature in Tennessee oh. or whatever. This is bad news. And so the local people are furious and they get the local fire chief, a guy called Tom Daisy, to take it down using his hook and ladder truck. Now, there's a crowd gathered to watch this happen, and half the people are applauding, you know, singing God Save the Queen, but the other half are the Fenians, and they are furious. Their leader is a man called Lawrence Whalen, and he steps up, and in front of the crowd he declares it openly, Tom Daisy, you are a dead man. (laughs) So... Nobody kind of makes much of this. Uh, Lawrence Whalen is known to drink a lot on an evening, so everyone just kind of forgets about it until Christmas Eve of that year. And everybody from the Catholic Diocese is gathered in the not-quite-finished cathedral. They're doing midnight mass. They're singing carols. And this night, Lawrence Whalen decides he is going to take his revenge. So he borrows a rifle. He lies in wait in the bushes along View Street with the barrel of the gun facing towards the side door of the cathedral. And his plan is to assassinate the fire chief, Tom Daisy, that night as he is leaving mass. But how is he going to know which of the hundreds of people coming out that door in the dark in 1890s Victoria street lighting? How is he going to know which one of these guys is the right one? Well, Tom Daisy owns and wears something that nobody else does. It is a white, full-length overcoat. Nobody wears white, full-length anything in a city whose streets are made of mud in 1890, (laughs) right? So they know this is the guy. And he cannot believe how lucky he is because before Mass is even over, the side door creaks open, and out of it steps this big man in white. And so Lawrence Whalen takes the shot. And the man in white collapses. He's bleeding to death on the stairs of the cathedral. And, of course, everyone inside, they hear the gunshot. They come running out. And one of the first people on the scene is a big man in a white overcoat. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, it is Tom Daisy. The fire chief is absolutely alive. And dead on the stairs is the man at whose grave we stand, David Fee. He's 29. He's very popular, very well liked. He's the son of local greengrocers, And that night he had been at a costume party. He was dressed as an old-fashioned clown, a a pierrot, right? So it's white from top to toe and red pom-poms down the center of the chest, a little tin bugle around his neck, a silly floppy white hat. He's just wearing the wrong color, in the wrong place, at the wrong time. Oh my gosh. Now today, around Christmas time, people report seeing this tall white figure coming and going by the side door of the cathedral on View Street. He is featureless and faceless, but he is the size and the shape of a human. And the front of his torso is stained with red and nobody's entirely sure if the red is his pom-poms from his costume or the red of his gunshot wound.
1: Oh, my gosh. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Midnight hey. Mass this year is going to be different for me. Okay, <laughs> great.
0: Right now, we're standing in front of one of the most pristine gravestones I've seen in the Ross Bay Cemetery. And Kate, can you tell me why it's so, you know, well-kept?
2: Yeah, of course. So this gravestone is the marker of a woman called Isabella Ross. And uh, recently the Old Cemetery Society uh, restored this grave marker. Uh, they will do this for prominent graves or uh, sometimes for graves that don't have anybody looking after them. It's one of the things that the Old Cemetery Society does. And Isabella Ross, well, she's the reason this place is called Ross Bay Cemetery. Ah. Mm-hmm. So Isabella Ross was a Métis woman born in the early 19th century and she married a fellow called Charlie Ross and he was the first chief factor of Fort Victoria, the first European settlement here with Hudson's Bay Company. And he comes here and he builds basically Fort Victoria and then he promptly dies, leaving Isabella a widow with 10 children oh. and in the middle of nowhere with no family support. She's um, a First Nations woman alone in this community with all these children. And with the payout that she was given from Hudson's Bay Company with her husband's death, she buys the land that we're standing on. She owned a huge proportion of what is now fair field and uh, she farmed it. Now, one of the interesting things about cemeteries is that ghosts are usually formed by a living person having a very intense emotional experience, you know, the place where you die or the place where you have a terrible shock. And so by the time you're buried in a cemetery, you're not really leaving marks behind, right? It tends to more often be the ghosts of people who visit cemeteries who haunt them. But Isabella Ross is an exception. And even a couple of years ago, I was here on the psychic tour of Ross Bay, which they do every year with the Old Cemetery Society. And as we were walking around with the psychic medium, Don Kirkham, in this area, she just stopped and she said, OK, there is a tall, very strong, stern looking woman dressed all in black here, and she is very connected to this land. Now, anybody listening at home, you can have a quick Google for Isabella Ross, Victoria, BC, under image search, you will see exactly what she looks like, and this matches the description perfectly. So Isabella Ross is one of the few spirits that is actually seen physically present in this cemetery, walking amongst the tombstones, and we don't know whether this is because she is haunting it, because she is buried here, or whether this was just her land, and so she is still being seen here today.
0: Oh, amazing! And she sounds like such a badass.
2: <laughs> That's exactly say. the word—like nineteenth-century right? badass. Yeah. It's precisely what she and was. And you were
0: saying too: she she died at what seventy-seven years old, yes. which was unheard of in the time. A
2: very fine age, especially for a woman who had moved across Western Canada, yeah. who would had her husband up and die on her, who had single-handedly raised ten children. She was the first woman to own land in what we call British Columbia now. That badass! It's impressive. The absolute definition of Aww. badass
1: right now kid we're in front of um a really nice statue says lady amelia douglas Uh, please tell us the story of uh, this spot
2: I happily will. So Lady Amelia Douglas is on one side and then her husband, the very famous Sir James Douglas, is oh, on yeah. the other side. He's the guy for whom Douglas Street is named and the elementary school in James Bay and all of this. He's the first um, uh, person to basically found Fort Victoria in 1843, the first European settlement here. And he becomes the first governor of the colony of British Columbia when that happens in the 1860s he's important sir james douglas and back in the 19th century he and his wife and his children were living in a little house where the royal british columbia museum is located today so it's quite a modest thing and out back of it sir james douglas had this garden it was full of imported flowers and bushes but his pride and joy was an orchard with all of these different trees brought from across the world plum trees cherry trees um all sorts of apples his favorite famously though, was a black prince cherry tree, and Sir James had a habit that his wife, Amelia, could not abide. He smoked a pipe he found this she found this gross, so after dinner, she would boot him out into the backyard and he'd wander around, and people would come along uh, government street and kind of wave at, at the governor. This was kind of amazing, and when he dies, he was so well known and so well respected the funeral is held in the Church of Our Lord. It's on Belleville Street. It's still there right now, and they cannot fit everybody in the church. So instead, the road to here, to Rospay Cemetery, is lined with mourners in full Victorian mourning garb, women with black widow's weeds and men with armbands, and they haul the body here. It is buried with great ceremony, and everybody has seen it. Everybody knows that he is dead. But shortly after his death, the people of Victoria start avoiding that backyard area. It's along Government Street today. There's a building there called the Douglas Building behind the museum because although they all know that Governor Douglas is gone, they are smelling his pipe tobacco Ah. wafting out of the backyard. And if you are brave enough to approach, they would see him standing there in the garden, still tending his trees. And to this day, I have to tell you, We tell this story on my Wednesday night tours during the summertime and almost exactly every two weeks as we are walking down the path, coming into this little backyard area, someone in my tour group, I'll hear it, they'll start (laughs) sniffing around. And you'll hear them say it. Is somebody smoking a pipe? Who smokes a pipe anymore? Where is that coming from? And then I will turn around and I will tell them the story of Douglas and the phantom pipe tobacco. People still see him, too. This tall figure with huge mutton chops and old-fashioned clothes. He's pulling at the one remaining thing from his orchard. If you go back there... There is one Black Prince cherry tree that is still left a descendant of Sir James Douglas's original orchard. And if you're lucky, you may see or smell him there, too.
0: Now, do you find when you're doing these ghostly tours and gathering stories that a lot of them are scent-based, like smells? Like, Is that a really strong thing with, with it is. Kind of ghostly energy?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question because I think a lot of people's um, basis of knowledge for ghost stories is movies, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all visual or uh, audio gags where you get jump scares and so on. But in reality, a lot of things are tied to other senses, like your sense of smell. So I think we've all had that experience of smelling something and thinking, Man, that really reminds me of my grandmother or my right. grandfather. And some people think that is someone's way of checking in with you. Your sense of memory is really important.
1: Totally. Wow, that's wild. And just for the record, I do still smoke a pipe, but that's hipster nonsense. Oh, though. you're, maybe it's you following my tours. Uh,
0: I was going to say that sounds like your future.
1: <laughs> Haunting with pipe smoke? I, I've never been down there smoking it. You're not allowed. I know. I get kicked out of places. You know, it's like the ghost aspect of it is wild, Kate, and obviously that's why we're here for Halloween, but the history is amazing as well. Okay, uh, one last story, Kate, because okay. I know you got to get ready for tonight. Big sure. night for you. Um, we are standing here, and you have promised us um, a big one to go out on.
2: Yeah, this one's pretty gory, so, so j- just be prepared. So we're standing at a rather unpreprocessing grave. It is the grave marker of the Burt family, and if you take a look at it, you will see at the top, uh, there's a name that doesn't match. It's Dwyer. So this is the burial site of Harry Dwyer, who died at the age of 35, and his wife, Selena Bert Dwyer, who died at the age of 20. Oh. Both of these people were living on a little farmstead down on San Juan Island, and they were brutally murdered by a young Hawaiian man called Joe Nawana. Now, Joe and aunt and uncle were living here in Victoria, in fact, on Humboldt Street, in a little shack where basically Miniature World is today, in the base of the Empress Hotel. And they were not very happy when their nephew just shows up one day in 1873, unannounced on their doorstep, expecting to stay with them. Now, it's all very dodgy, and Joe, who is only 16, ends up running off to the Red Light District on Johnson Street, where he's spending all this money, and the next people to show up on the doorstep are Border Police. They are from San Juan Island and they are looking for Joe. And it turns out that a few days before he had borrowed a shotgun from a friend. He had walked to Harry and Selena Dwyer's little farmstead and he had shot Harry Dwyer in the back while he was plowing his field with his plow horse. And according to the coroner, as Harry was dying, sinking down to his knees, Joe had flipped the firearm around and used the butt to drive in the base of Harry's skull. Oh my God. Selena was very pregnant, and she was sitting on the porch of the house. She watched this happen to her husband, and she ran inside. She tried to barricade the door, but Joe Nwana came and sh- uh, broke in the front windows. He shot the pregnant woman twice, and there she died inside of the house. And he looted the place. He took all the money, all of the belongings. He came here to Victoria to spend it, and that is when the police caught up with him. And here's where things get extra unpleasant.
0: I thought that was already unpleasant. We're
2: almost there because what is the penalty for murder in 1873? Death, string them up. String them up. It is always a hanging. That's exactly it. And not just a hanging. In 1873, it is a public hanging. So you get the wife and the kids and you all head on down to the town square and there's snacks for sale. Yeah. And there's souvenirs and you get to watch somebody get hanged. And they do this in Port Townsend, and Joe is hanging is botched. They tie the noose wrong, and when the trapdoor falls, his neck doesn't break. And he kicks, and he struggles, and he chokes. They actually have to haul him up out of the gallows. The uh, hangman puts his foot on Joe's shoulders and starts yanking up on the rope to try to get the neck to snap manually. It is horrifying. It takes this kid 20 minutes to die. And at the end, they just instantly bury him in the hanging yard where he had died. It is possible he wasn't quite yet dead. And today, on Humboldt Street, where the old Nawana house was, people experience the ghost of Joe Nawana. He's an uhane, uh, a night stalker ghost in Hawaiian culture. And if you're ever walking along there and you feel something violently shove you in the back, chances are good that is our friend Joe.
1: Oh, my God. Why? Did they ever go into any more motive than just you want to rob these people?
2: Like, why did he do that? Joe was a pretty bad character. So he was 16 at this point. He already had a criminal record for violent assault, and he had been suspected of another murder previously. So uh, something was not quite right about Joe Noana, I yeah. think, right from the beginning. Wow. And his whole family was full of, like, really lovely, upright, just normal people. But something went wrong with Joe. Wow. wow.
1: You ever go on vacation and, like, all of your friends are just wearing the same Herschel backpack? That's what Mano and I are doing from Colorado right now. I just spooked him out. He thought I stole his backpack off his back. He's already wearing it. Here in Ross Bay Cemetery, thank you for coming to the cemetery for us.
3: Uh, you know what? I was, like, not sure if I wanted to come to the cemetery in Halloween. And now that I'm here, I don't regret it one bit. That was one of the weirdest experiences of my life, watching the deer and hearing the ghost story by the water and being like... Am I in a band? Did I die on tour? <laughs> this is weird.
0: We're actually chatting with Menno's ghost right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: the show is tonight, of course, the big farewell show at uh, Capitol Ballroom.
0: And, uh, Menno, we're going to start off the uh, the little chit-chat here with your own very own ghost story. Has anything ghostly ever happened to you?
3: Yeah, definitely over the years of touring, everyone has like claimed to find a ghost in some weird place. Mm. But... um oh oh thank you but um the one that uh kind of sticks out is the one the town that we are all from Manitic Ontario there's a mill and in the mill um the miller's daughter on her wedding day they they went to the mill to like Celebrate! I was going to say take pictures, but this was like 1820 or something. Uh, so do the 1820 version of taking pictures at the mill. <laughs> and uh, they forgot to turn the mill off. And her wedding dress got caught in the um, in the spinning, like the mill stuff. And she literally got turned into flour. And um, so there's supposed to be the ghost of Watson's mill. And like, that's a thematic. And no joke, it was one Halloween night, and it was me and the band very early on in, and um, we I, I guess we had taken a bunch of mushrooms, uh, but we saw the ghost. It was a hundred percent there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. And
1: wow, even through the mushrooms. It, well, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a,
3: you know, she just appears in the window, and um, so yeah, we have a song about it. It's uh, on a on a ten inch we put out that no one owns, but it exists in the world. It's called R- uh, Run Dickinson Run, I think.
1: Wow. Okay, good story. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so now uh, we're getting set for the show tonight. Yep. And but I'm curious about. I mean, you're off on this uh, tour across the country. It's a farewell tour. It's it you, you've put it out there. It is the farewell tour. Um, and I really I love that about Colorado. Everything that you've always seemed to do is like done with purpose and like on purpose um so but it must have been kind of tough to decide you know like this band has gone as far as it can go and so this is going to be it
3: um that part of the decision was a little bit hard but like to decide that this band has gone as far as it can go that was pretty easy for us we Mm. we just all kind of looked at each other one day and we all and we're like this is the last record and everyone's like yep this is the last record and then we're like let's make it Let's make it the best we can. And it was like, yeah. And we had the most fun making the best last record. And we were like, oh, we should probably do a last tour, right? And I was like, hell yeah. Mm. So we spent all our money on a massive tour bus, (laughs) hired every one of our friends from the past, got like all the openers who are our best friends, and we've been like a traveling party caravan for the last month across the country, just literally... Turning everything to 11 in
1: fun. Yeah. And then I wonder too, like, um, what are the emotions that you're feeling as you go across on this tour? And are they what you're expecting when you launched out on it, or are they different?
3: There's a whole bunch of emotions that we've all been feeling. Like, I've definitely cried a few times on stage, like, uh, um, you know, not like sobbing gross tears, but like the, the, the little cute ones. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, um, and, um, I, I remember like Amigos like in Saskatoon like it's never been that particularly a, like a great place for us to play we love playing there but um you know just as the crowd was singing back to us for the encore and I just like let them take over the song and just like staring there and be like wow it's really it, I'm gonna miss that but then there's a lot of like bullshit that you know you know getting lost in like the little like even the bus had a breakdown like oh, oh, no. you know? <laughs> like oh of course it did and but <laughs> but um but the bus breaking down like we all just sat there and we just had a good giggle like well probably the last one of these and like let's enjoy it so we like fired up nhl 95 or whatever <laughs> game they're playing and we just sat there for two hours and then uh the band that's on tour with us actually caught up to us and we rode the ferry together it's this whole tour has been like uh kind of the universe like shining on us we haven't had a rainy day yet like every city that's normally like, cold and gross has been beautiful and amazing and yeah. All these old friends, and it's just been like really knock on knock on uh, some old bones right here. But uh, <laughs> he's
0: knocking on a grave right now.
3: <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it, it's really been a special special tour.
0: And tonight is the final Victoria show. We're chatting with Menno of Colorado. And do you want to kind of dive into the making of the record too? Because you decided to do it all by yourself, like the the production and the yeah. engineering and everything. So like
3: none of us are getting out of music by any means, and um, so Nick, uh, the guitar player, he's uh, starting a, well, he's been doing a lot of producing, and he's made some really amazing records, so we're like, well, we should probably make one of our records, and so that's the way we decided to do it. So he has a studio, and it was the first time we got to do everything on, like, our timeline, like, we could spend as much or as little time every day as we wanted on it, and um, once again, we just did it, like, how we wanted, and it was really fun, and all of us think that we made our best record. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's a funny thing to like make your best record and then call it up. <laughs> and then but
0: Drop a smoke bomb and say, see ya. <laughs>
3: that's exactly it.
0: Um, Well, we are just so happy to have Colorado as part of our radio station, too. Your music has always just, like, really struck a chord with us. It strikes a chord with our listeners as well. You're just an all-around, like, genuine, fun band, and it really shows in your music. So thank you for all all that you've done for (laughs) music in Canada. It
3: means a lot. We've had a heck of a time coming in over the years and getting to know everyone. And Remember that show we did at, um, what's that, Main Island? Right. um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys had something to do with that, maybe, and we played in that ballet studio, and there someone brought their dog that in. Was my dog, yeah. That was your dog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. it's all a big blurb. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is
1: that dog still around? Yeah, yeah, good dog still. All right. Yeah. The dog outlasts Colorado. <laughs> 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 um, we want to talk to you more, obviously, about anyway, gang. But we know you're tight on time. We're tight on time, so you will have to come back, and we'll do that totally. when you're here with anyway, gang. Okay. Uh, we we'll
3: see if you can convince all the guys to go on tour we'll see about that but uh you never know
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got our fingers crossed man, thank fun. you so much for coming man. appreciate it talk soon. thanks for joining the pj party for more from paul and jenny get them live two to six weekday afternoons on the zone at 913 or around the world via the internet's tubes at the zone.fm do them a solid and leave a review wherever you get this podcast and tell your friends about it paul and jenny are both on facebook twitter and instagram so get in
2: touch Thanks for joining the PJ party.
0: I'm Jenny. I'm Crystal. I'm Lindsay. And we are on the the rag. rag. You could be on the rag too with us if you listen to the podcast, which you Mm -hmm. can find at thezone.fm slash podcast, also on Spotify. I like to talk about (laughs) things that people feel, for some reason, uncomfortable talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, how many times have you brought up a vagina to a friend this week? Do you have nipple hair? Yep. All about your periods. You make me yeah. uncomfortable comfortable I bleed a lot I have a copper IUD you can learn about your body our bodies other sexual health related things we bring in experts because I don't know anything actually <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>